Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Hiya. Um, thank you so much for leading worship, Dave and Denise. I, yeah, it wrecks me. Um, I think you said everything I'm going to say. I mean, I could just sit down. <laughs> seriously, seriously. But let's start. In February 2013, a man named Frank Le Cerf was on his way to do his shopping at a hypermarket in France when his Renault Laguna developed a fault close, close to his home in pont le metz near Amiens in northern France. The vehicle, which was specially adapted for disabled drivers, started to accelerate as Monsieur Le Cerf drove along a dual carriageway with a speed limit of 60 miles an hour. Despite not pressing the accelerator pedal, the car's speed continued to increase beyond the legal limit until, and Mr. Le Cerf had no way to bring it down. And it kept on in, increasing until it reached the car's top speed of 125 miles an hour. The panicked Mr. Le Cerf managed to reach his phone from the seat next to him and dial the gendarme, the police, and they, con they contacted the Renault service department, but the Renault service department couldn't do anything at that point. Um, and so they sent um, a police escort, and there hurtled Mr. Le Cerf throughout this conversation um, at 125 miles an hour along the motorway, um, heading towards and indeed through three um, toll booths at full speed, and then across the Belgian border, and where eventually 125 miles after the beginning of his ordeal, he ran out of petrol. Wow. Doesn't that sometimes feel like our lives? You know, just the accelerator pedal just kind of stuck down and things kind of hitting us and going on. And it's the speed that many of us live our lives and the demands that are made on us, the engagements to make the situations that need to be dealt with, they begin to feel like they smother us and take all of our headspace, all of our bandwidth, if you like, all of our attention. And then if we add to that the clamor of our culture as well, a culture encouraging us that there are instant answers to everything, that it's our moral duty to reverse climate change, refreeze icebergs, etc., etc., etc. It's no wonder that in our nation and in our schools, not this school, but in our schools, there's been what's called a mental health tsunami. So many demands on our attention. And as we approach the end times, everything will become more intense. That's what Jesus meant when he talked about birth pangs. You know, birth pangs become close together, they become more intense. And so as we approach these end times, we have this, these demands on our attention. And we have an ever, ever shorter attention span as well, due to the nature of our devices. I don't know if you've ever had that or recently had that embarrassing situation where you're talking to somebody and all of a sudden you realize that they've said something and somehow your mind has wandered and you just missed entirely what they were saying. I'm sure there are many married guys here who wouldn't like to admit that, right? Um, and so we've arrived here this morning and perhaps we've got a particular situation or a question that bothers us going around and around in our minds. I love the story of David in the Bible you know, the craziness of his life, what he faced, how he finds 
himself in situations and how he responds to those situations. And the great thing about David is we, always see, we can so often see the nature of his response because we have the Psalms and many of them are written by him. And I just want to look briefly today at Psalm 27 which describes his response to his enemies pressing on every side. He rests on his, in his battle by declaring the lordship of God. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear or dread? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David goes on to describe what looks like a siege situation, enemies press, pressing in on every side, the wicked coming to eat his flesh, a host encamp, encamped against him, war arising. But David's response is this. He says, my heart shall not fear. David's grounded in the Lord. And I want to look today at how he grounds himself in the Lord, and particularly at verse 4 of Psalm 27, which, which he writes. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek, inquire for, and insistently require, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, in his presence, all the days of my life, to behold and gaze upon the beauty, the sweet attractiveness, and the delightful loveliness of the Lord and to meditate, consider, and inquire in his temple. So the Lord is David's absolute pursuit. His life is, in a sense, dedicated to this one pursuit, seeking God, and everything else is put to one side. It's like Jesus himself, who retreats from the crowds to spend time with the Father, you know, in the nights. David himself similarly seeks God's face, and from his relationship with God, everything else is given to him. In a sense, he's the Old Testament, an Old Testament example of the, the command, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. David's priority, surrounded by his enemies and, and the demands on him, is this relentless pursuit of the Lord. He says, one thing I have asked of the Lord. And if you look at the Amplified, it says, David asked for, sought, and inquired, and insistently required. But there's much more to the Hebrew than those, than those words. It could be translated, apparently, in many more ways, the word seek, um, such as to, to search out by any method, especially in worship or prayer, by implication, to strive after, ask, beg, beseech, desire, inquire, get, make acquisition, procure, make request, require, seek for. All of these things come from this Hebrew word for seek. I was really challenged by a quote I came across the other day by the 18th century missionary William Carey. I don't know if you know anything about him. He went to India from Britain. He, his, his wife suffered from severe mental health, his first wife, and um, she didn't want to go to India, but they went anyway, and he spent 40 years in India. He translated the Bible into 40 different languages during the time he was there. He's just a hero of mine in the faith, just a, an amazing guy. And he said this, and I, I find this really, really interesting. He says, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid, I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. And David was des described as the man after God's own heart for this very reason, that his overriding pursuit was God's daily presence in every single day. He wanted to dwell in his temple, he says. And that's interesting in itself because, in a sense, David prophetically pictures himself in the temple which is yet to be built, dwelling there every day. 
He could have had everything he wanted, David being the king, but his overriding desire is the presence of the Lord all the days of his life. That's what it says. He says, I want to dwell in the, Lord all, dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And this aspect of dwelling every, every day in the presence is important to David. And I, I, look, I, I thought about this thing of all the days of your life. And it's interesting because it appears, um, the first time it's spoken to a human being in scripture, it's actually God speaking to Adam himself. It says, Genesis 3:17. it says, the ground is under a curse because of you. In sorrow and toil shall you eat the fruits of it all the days of your life. And so David realizes that the only way to undo the curse of Adam was the presence of God. And the curse is such that any day that goes by for David without the presence of God will be a day of barrenness and toil. Any day without the presence of God is a wasted day. So that's what the, that's about, that is about the presence of God, what David so much desires. And, and, and what does he do when he has the presence of God? It says um, in verse 4 that he gazes, to gaze upon his beauty, to behold him and gaze upon his beauty. And in gazing upon his beauty, everything else is resolved. He says, one thing have I asked for the, of the Lord that will I seek, inquire for, and insistently require, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord in his presence all the days of my life, to behold and gaze upon the beauty, the sweet attractiveness, and the delightful loveliness of the Lord, and to meditate, consider, and inquire in his temple. If I was to title this message this morning, it would be this. It would be, to gaze upon his beauty. Doesn't it amaze you that David understood so much about the beauty of the Lord before Jesus even came to earth? That's a crazy thought. He gazed upon the beauty of the Lord. He had a vision of it. He beheld it. He looked at the Lord. He saw him. And gazing is interesting because it suggests this idea of slowing down and taking something in. Just slowing down. We may see lots of things, but we only gaze at things that take our attention to the exclusion of the things going on around us. And the subject of our gaze takes our whole attention. And gaze is also interesting because it suggests the idea of attraction. We gaze at things that attract us. I love the way that the Amplified talks about the beauty of the Lord as the sweet attractiveness and the delightful loveliness of, of the Lord. And so this morning I want to just spend a little bit of time gazing at Jesus. When we slow down and look at Jesus, we will be transfixed. When we open our eyes, we open our Bibles and look into scripture, slowly and meditatively, we lock eyes with him. Have you ever noticed how Jesus is never in a hurry in scripture? He's not like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, guys, this, this situation's come and oh my gosh, we've really got to solve it now. You never see Jesus in that way. He never panics. He doesn't mind interruptions. He never reacts, he only responds. For example, on the way to Jairus' house, he doesn't rebuke the woman with the issue of blood. Instead, he seeks, out, seeks her out to give her full restoration. Or when he hears about the fact that Lazarus, his friend, is dying, it says he stayed there three more days. 